your regularly scheduled program for a special announcement. The United States is headed for an entitlement crisis. Social Security and Medicare are going broke. You are going to have to pay the bill. You are going to have to pay the bill. Welcome to the Debt Dialogues, where you'll learn about the coming entitlement crisis, how it affects you, and what you can do about it. Debt Dialogues. Here's your host, Ayn Rand Institute Fellow, Don Watkins. My guest today is R.J. Renza. He's the creator of TakeBackYour6Percent.com, the national petition to opt out of Social Security, and the author of How Are You Not Angry Yet? How Social Security is Destroying the Futures, Finances, and Hopes of Generations X, Y, and Z, and How We Can Put an End to It. R.J., welcome to the Dead Dialogues. Thank you for having me, Don. Now, you have a atypical story for somebody writing on Social Security. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in this whole issue? Uh, yes, Don. Ken. I've uh, been a school teacher in South Florida uh, for the last 13 years. And um, during that time, I've watched many of my students uh, move on through high school and toward post-secondary education. And as they've moved on during this time, I've observed them entering an increasingly hostile economic environment, if you will. Um, basic costs I've seen for them um, going up across the board. And for people who are just leaving high school, uh, it's a very tough time to incur those costs. At the same time, wages have stagnated. And with student loan debt becoming such a... Uh, such a well, it's a crisis now. Uh, it started to really snowball back in the early 2000s into the late 2000s, and I started seeing that these these students of mine were facing more challenges than my generation did, if you will, only a few years before, and uh, definitely not the generations of the past. And as they left college, I'd still keep in touch with some of them, and they'd often tell me that they were tens of thousands of dollars in debt, which for, again, for a young person just starting out, um, often leaving school and not getting the job that they were looking for in their field right away, uh, that was especially crippling. Now when I see students and I ask them, you know, what, what, what have they done with their college experience, they'll say rather casually that they've racked up thousands of dollars of debt, tens of thousands of dollars of debt now. And um, after seeing this happen over about a decade or so, um, it really kind of, it made me really worried for them and seeing what's coming up and for my own children who are in elementary school right now about what's going to happen for them. When it started, when I started considering those things, I thought past that and it dawned on me there was something much more dangerous there, um, that Social Security was the economic hurdle that even surpassed some of the challenges they're seeing now. And what they're going to have to deal with is, despite the fact that they're seeing a stagnant job market and uh, they're running into um, uh, high student loan debt, they're also going to be tasked with supporting the baby boomer generation into retirement. And that's a tremendous indignity, in my opinion, to these young people growing up, and uh, more or less to you and me, Don. So I decided that it was about time someone looked into doing something about it, and that's where I 
I found um, your book and where I decided to uh, um, write one of my own around that time as well. And when I talk to students now and, and happen to mention, you know, hey, I've written a book on Social Security, and they're, they're curious about it. They don't understand what Social Security is, but some of them do know what it is, and they know they're not going to see what's, what, what our current generation, what our baby boomers are going to be seeing for Social Security. And that frustration uh, is changing rapidly in the front of frustration, if you will, into a form of anger. And that's what I'm seeing from them. And, uh, and that's what really inspired me to uh, make this book happen was some of the stories I'd see from my old students and what I see coming up for people from our generation and for our younger generation, from my children to Don. So we've definitely talked quite a bit in this podcast about the problems of Social Security, but why don't you give us at least an overview of some of the things you try to draw attention to in the book? And then I really want to delve into the the reactions of young people and how to actually get across how damaging the whole program is. Okay, in the book, I start off with a brief history of Social Security. Um, again, I've I've kind of geared this toward uh, toward a younger America and toward people who really are not uh, are not privy to matters of uh, let's say um, political. Um, talk or economics. Um, people are just getting by day to day. They're working on their schooling, and with many distractions that young people have in life today, they're really not focused on politics, and they're not turning tuning to C-SPAN. So, I've geared this book toward them and, and breaking down the uh, the very complex topic of Social Security into a way that younger people. Uh, with no prior knowledge of politics and, and very little prior knowledge of, of economics can easily understand. Um, so we, we do go over the beginnings of Social Security. Um, then we move on to how it starts to affect them. And the way it affects them is there's many inaccuracies out there that people think about Social Security. There's people that think that their money goes into account, an account that's labeled for them. Um, there are people out there that think that, uh, that there's a uh, the trust fund. When you hear about the 2.7 or almost three billion dollar trust fund gets thrown around, uh, that can be reassuring to some people. Um, but the trust fund really is just a matter of paper IOUs, and some people, many people who are my age, just don't just don't understand that at a day-to-day level. Uh, so we go into clearing up some of those fallacies. Uh, what happens if someone passes away before Social Security retirement age? I talk to young people, and they just thought that it gets passed on to someone else, that they, they someone else in their family had access to it. And it was kind of staggering because looking at the actuary tables, around 20% of us just won't make it to age 65. And for those of us who don't make it, that money just vanishes. It gets redistributed. And what many, I believe, people who are supporting Social Security don't see or they fail to see is that if that could have been kept in our family, that if we could have done something through basic level investments or through putting it into an insurance policy, that could have been passed on to our children. That could have been passed on through our family if, God forbid, one of us did not make it to age 65. 
And a lot of young people just aren't even aware of that. I find it two things about the sorts of issues you're raising very striking. So one is the fact that if a private business allowed and actually disseminated as much mythology as the government does about how social security works, about having a so-called trust fund. And I mean, they would go to jail, they'd be shut down immediately. But the second thing I find striking is that people and not just young people, but even people receiving social security, um, they have no clue how it works. And the idea that people are basing their lives, possibly decades of their lives and their financial well-being and the well-being of their families around something they have no clue how it works, I find is really disturbing. It's true. you think of it, it is more than 10% of our income. We personally pay from our payroll taxes 6.2%. Our employer matches it at an, at an additional 6.2%. And that you could say, hey, listen, that's not being pulled from us. Well, yes, it is, because that is potentially money that your employer could pay you, but they can't because they have to pay Social Security just to put you in a job and keep you on the payroll. So that is 12.4% of, of your earnings that is a negative toll, if you will, on a young earner's life. And that can be, like I said, very crippling early on as you're getting your start. And today it's harder to get your start than it was, let's say, in the 70s, 80s, or 90s. Um, you're, you're looking at a stagnant job market. It's tough to get something. I can't even tell you how many times I've gone to Starbucks or to Best Buy or Target and seen someone there who I know who has a degree. I've, I've worked in restaurants before to support myself through an extra job, and I've known people with master's degrees working at nights in a restaurant. And it's terrible because... If they had that extra, at least the extra 6.2%, they could do something with that. They could reduce their student debt. They could invest in themselves and their lives in a business idea that could potentially bring them and their family a much greater financial reward than the than Social Security ever could. And you made a good point back there about uh, how it is – it has been falsified, and mass media and AARP are ones that continue to push this. And I find that uh, I actually devoted a uh, section to that in my book, how the AARP and the mainstream media are taking the conversation and they're framing it in a way that continually is put out toward younger people that Social Security is this good thing, it's going to be there for you, but it's staggering to me how some people in the media say that, yes, Social Security is going to be there for you. Yes, you should back it. No, you're not going to get the whole thing because by the time you grow up and it's your time to retire, you're looking at about 75% of what everybody's making. But you should still be all for Social Security. And that boggles my mind because now there is young millennials who are backing Social Security, who are absolutely aware of the fact that there's going to be a, a dip in what they make, and they're not going to make as much, and they're still all for it. So that's a little bit of the challenge of what I'm trying to address through my website is a way to break it down for younger people in a way that they can understand and appreciate that this is a real problem. So what was the most surprising to you in the research for the book? And what is you've shared these ideas with younger people has been most surprising to them about social security? 
Um, what I found most surprising uh, was my lack of knowledge about Social Security, to be honest. Um, I, had, I was a history major at, at Southern Connecticut State. I thought I knew, you know, something about it, a little bit of a background in, in economics and such, and I thought I knew something about it. And when I was going through college, I can remember picking up a few magazines, and I started to see back then how, you know, if you're a young person growing up today, that Social Security just isn't going to be there for you. And I started to set my own expectations that Social Security wouldn't be there for me. And what I found out when I was looking through and researching this topic was how much of a bad deal that I didn't even know uh, was involved with what's happening to younger people and actually what a bad deal it's been to previous generations, too. Um, if you really look at the numbers, except for the first few uh, maybe decades of people that received Social Security checks, if they had just put that money into regular investments, nothing special, maybe put into an index fund to track the NASDAQ or, or, or back then um, some of the major companies, they just put in the stock in IBM or GM, they would have done better hand over fist than whatever Social Security ended up giving them later on in life. And what I found was that I didn't even realize what a terrible financial deal it was and how destructive it was then and how destructive it is today for our younger generations, Don. When I spoke with people, I was surprised at how many of them, like me, were very resigned to the fact that they weren't going to receive Social Security. When I was first researching this, I was working in a restaurant at night, and I was around many young people, and so I talked to some of the people that I worked with in the restaurant, um, maybe some of the young teachers that I worked with at school, and they just knew they had a tone of resignation about them, that it's just not going to be there for me. And I'm never going to see the money anyway. And I looked at them and I'm like, but you're continuing to pay into this. And they said, yeah, well, I never really questioned it. And what shocked me was that people didn't question it. And then finally, when we did discuss the topic, maybe for more than a minute, a minute and a half, and I started to ask them, you know, are you aware of what a deal this is? Or, or how do you feel about this? And after probing for about a minute or so, Don, their tone changed from, I understand I'm not going to see this, to, wait, I'm really upset that I'm not going to see this money. This is a significant chunk of my paycheck. When I informed them that it's one out of every $16 that they put in, their tone started to change. And that's part of the reason why I named this book, why I titled this book, How Are You Not Angry Yet? Because when I talked to those people and they started to really ponder what the situation was financially, thanks to Social Security, thanks to a program that they had no choice to enter. They have always been in Social Security, and they were never given uh, any kind of input on the matter. Once they realized that, then they became angry, and they be, their tone changed. They said, well, how can we get this back? It was right then that I knew that I had to figure out a way 
um, some kind of way that we could at least make some serious noise about this on a political level and possibly make this happen where we could get our money back for the younger people or for anybody who wants out of Social Security. So then uh, but, going to the title of your book, How Are You Not Angry Yet, is your, is your general sense that the major reason is that they just lack knowledge about how utterly bad it is, or do you think there are other factors at play? I think there are other factors at play, Don. I think that everyone kind of internalizes who's under the age of 40 or 50 years old that Social Security is a bad deal. They've heard people cheerleading about it. But they've also heard more and more people say, listen, it's just not going to be there for you. Um, I'm sure you're aware they've had surveys that came out from last month in T-Roll Price in June or July that said that uh, they found that over 60% of millennials did not believe they were going to receive any benefits whatsoever from Social Security. So I, the anger is one part, but it's getting them to that point on, uh, and getting them to act. And I think back to, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, uh, the, the trend of smoking over recent years. Uh, back in the 90s, around 30% of high schoolers uh, smoked cigarettes um, on a regular basis. And then someone came out with the, the truth campaign, and they started to uh, uh, come out with these commercials that brought this issue to a head. And what I mean by that is, is that, uh, um, that we all knew, every teenager knew back then that smoking was bad for you. People got cancer, and, and people passed away, sadly. And they might have seen some of their parents or their grandparents pass away from cancer, but people were still smoking. But I like what I'm trying to do here with that truth campaign from back then, Don, because people knew that smoking was already bad, and that was never a secret. But when they saw commercials with body bags rolled up on the sidewalk, and people with voice boxes telling you that it just wasn't worth it. Once they saw something visceral like that, then the point hit home. And then you started to see change with young people, and they started to move away from it. And now I think that cigarettes are down to like 14 or 15% of people smoke. I'm not saying that to talk about smoking. It's just that, to bring on the point that sometimes they really have to be hit in the face with a visual ad or with something that really brings the point home on a very personal level, uh, just how badly this affects them. And that's what I try to do with my book is to bring that to where anybody, even one of my high school students from before, before they graduated, could read this through. It was interesting enough, God willing, to let people read through to the end. And then when they read through to the end, they said, hey, look, this isn't a good deal for me. Um, I think that deep down, Don, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, Whig, it doesn't matter. Nobody likes to be robbed. And when you pull back the facade of Social Security, frame it correctly, and show it for what it really is, that's a mechanism to steal from young people, essentially, and redisperse the elderly. I call it taxing the, the hungry to feed the fat. When you show it like that, I know that young America is about to get very upset about Social Security if they see this. And if they do, then we, have a, then we have a potential for change. But we only have a potential for change if young America gets massively involved because the change just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that people who are critical of it generally focus on the fact of it's not going to be there for you. 
uh, at least not fully to the degree that the promises are being made. But I, I think focusing on that, it's you're being damaged right now and then making that real. So, I mean, you can put it in monetary terms. I often like to put it in terms of time. How much time are you working for free? Because, you know, sometimes money, you know, money is fungible. So it's not clear what exactly am I giving up? But if you think, man, if my boss asked me to come in over a weekend without pay, I would be insanely angry. And of course, you know, the newspapers would throw a fit about greedy corporations. But when you're forced to work uh, up to a month and a half without pay just for this one program, I mean, it makes real how much of your life is being diverted from your own goals and aspirations to putting money in other people's pockets. Absolutely, Don. And there's a tremendous unfairness with that in getting younger people in touch with that unfairness uh, to see that for themselves. Um, I, I can do so much through the, the written words that I put in my book, um, but we're also going to be producing videos that are going to be very quick to the point, but it's going to be kind of playful. We may have a couple skits that show that kind of progression, how maybe a funnier, humorous video. I, I, I don't know if you got to see the one that I had sent before, but we just put it up on our site. It's slightly humorous about how I'd celebrate Social Security's 80th birthday. And there's a quick part in the beginning that maybe pulls somebody in, but then after the humor is done, I have to show them, hey, this is how it is damaging to you, not just, you know, not just some of the population, all of the population. And we're really dealing with a market of people over 100 million, <laughs> I mean, under the age of, let's say, 50 that are significantly damaged by uh, Social Security because, I mean, pretty much everybody pays into Social Security unless you're, you know, unless you're in one of those rare teachers unions or you live in Galveston. This affects so many different people, and if we can get maybe 2 or 3% of those people, maybe more, excited about that and upset about that and willing to do something, I'm not just talking about hashtag activism here. Uh, we need people who are going to um, not only sign a petition like there is on my site, the national petition to opt out of Social Security, but also we need them to make phone calls, send emails. And, Don, I think that's where our generation has a tremendous advantage because while the older generations, I read during my research that some 40% of them are not proficient on the Internet, we are. Our generation uses our cell phones for everything, even from ordering a pizza. So knowing this, Don, we can use that part to our advantage and send emails, phone calls, personal visits, whatever it takes. I want our generation to, and, and, and the generations past us, to be so uh, moved by this and upset by this that they take action. Because until that happens, I just don't see them taking action. And I'm going to do everything in my power to try and get that message across to them properly. Yeah, I definitely think it's... Uh... What I, I was impressed by the activist bent that you've taken because I do think that you need a step after the education side of actually starting to take action. But I do wonder about one more part on just conveying the message, and that's so young people are idealistic, uh, often ide uh, often idealistic, and so there's a I think 
even if you're able to convey the economic destructiveness of it to them, there's the lingering issue of, but shouldn't we do the right thing? And doesn't that mean taking care of grandma and so on? And so how do you think about or deal with this issue so that you're not trying to say, put your economic self-interest above being a good person? It's a, it's a very, uh, that's a very good question there, Don, because many people are going to struggle with the moral aspect of it, if you will. Um, you know, there's the old argument or the, uh, you know, you're pushing granny off a cliff. Or I've heard before, you know, grandma's going to eat dog food. Uh, I've heard that argument from some of the members of my own family. And I mean, and it's, it's, it's an interesting one uh, because the moral argument does come into play. We do want to feel like we're good people at the end of the day. And, and perhaps Social Security gives us some sense of altruism that we wouldn't get in other places. Um, and, how and people say, hey, they, they did pay into the system. And, and I, I do agree with that. I think that cutting the system entirely is the wrong way to go. It's going to, be have, it's going to have to be gradually um, reduced. But the more I think of it from a, from a standpoint of uh, our personal morality. Yeah. Could you give an example? Um, okay, let's just say that you had an uh, elderly person next door or someone from an older generation come up and, and say, hey, listen, yeah, I live near you. I've got a problem. Yeah, I went to the casino last week, lost a few hundred dollars in the slots, and my Beamer's in the shop now, and my BMW is in the shop. I don't have much money left for other stuff I want to do this week. I want to take the wife to the beach. You know what I mean? Uh, I just want to head down to the pharmacy, and uh, let me just go grab something down at the pharmacy. Let me get your credit card for a little bit. And I'll bring it right back. You know, you probably laugh in the person's face if they're asking for money, if they ask you for cash. You politely decline them, but you decline them. And that's where we are in a way with Social Security, Don, because our younger generations compared to our older generations are impoverished compared to them. I mean, there's inside my book, I know that I state that, uh, that the older generations are 47 times more wealthy in terms of their net worth than our younger generations are. And that's staggering. And yet our younger generation, millennials, generation Xers, they're saddled with this debt to keep them going and keep them going, but to, to continue to pay for their retirement. And as I mentioned before, taxing the hungry to feed the fat makes no sense. And yet we're still doing it uh, from a moral argument as well. I'd say that, you know, people say, Hey, look, you know, these people paid into social security. They deserve a return on investment. And that's really not my fault. I didn't, I didn't force them into it. It was a crime that they were forced into paying for Social Security. And it's also a crime that I'm paying, forced to pay into Social Security. And the younger people are. Heck, it's more of a crime that we're you know, forced to pay into their dime. And I think that when someone comes at me with the – or someone says, hey, there's a, we have a moral uh, – we should be a moral country and help out our elderly people – I'd say that you're much more likely to find a younger generation, a person from our younger generation, impoverished uh, than you will be finding someone from the older generation. Uh, furthermore, we're going to see student loan debt, and many people are having a tough time paying that down. That's going to continue to grow as it gets as, as these younger people get older, and many young people aren't aware that if they continue and they ever do see Social Security. The little bit that they do see in Social Security done, if they haven't paid their student loan debts, 
the government can go in and take more out of there, so they receive even less. And so when when people do say, look, you know, it's, it's, you know, we we have we have to be good people. It, at some point in time, when does being a good person mean that I have to put my dreams, my family's hopes on hold for someone who I don't even know? Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and I think I mean, so. I I like the analogy of you know, the neighbor coming, knocking and asking for a handout, essentially, although I typically reverse it and ask somebody, is that how, what you would do? Would you go to your neighbor's house and say, look, I have needs and I expect you to pay for them. And so one, I don't think this is the whole issue, but part of reframing the issue in moral terms is forget for a second what it's doing to you or keep in mind what it's doing to you. But to the extent you don't oppose social security, that's what you're doing to everybody else. You're forcing them into this system where just like you, their hopes and dreams are put on hold. And it is a marginal element of humanity. Who's not able to support themselves. Who's not able to make rational, responsible decisions. And what you're doing is to the rational and responsible people who are the majority of the people around you is you're making it harder for them to pursue their happiness. And so like, that's the essential moral issue, not the very marginal case of, you know, an elderly person who's quote forced to eat dog food. Um, we don't have too much more time, but, and I do want to hear more about what you're doing, what kind of actions you're taking, what kind of actions you're recommending. You mentioned a little bit your um, your petition. So say more about the kind of activities you're engaged in and then how can people find out about them, find out about the book and so on. Dom, what I'm doing is um, in, what we're doing is we're setting up the, the website. It's really about to be formally launched, and it has a blog on there. And the blog is me just keeping up with some of the issues that happen in Social Security on a day-to-day basis, how they affect our younger generation. Um, You'll also find on there the national petition to opt out of Social Security. And I believe that's something important for young people to get across to at least uh, to check in on there. And if it grows up to a certain point, which I absolutely believe that it will, and we get a significant number. Now we have a little more clout behind our idea that Social Security does need to change. If a politician can brush off young people now because young people really don't get out and vote all that much. Uh, however, if they do see a petition with you know, a couple million signatures on it, that might change a few minds. Um, past this, uh, we're, what I'm doing right now is we're working on the, uh, the filming of videos, if you will. I, I still teach school during the daytime. So on some weeknights and the weekends, I'll go out there and we'll film a couple of, uh, of some of these promotional videos that are going to open people's eyes and younger people's eyes and see, hey, look, very quickly, this is how it is harmful to you in, in a more visceral tone. Uh, past that, Don, once we get up to a certain amount of people on that page and, uh, and people who are continuing to check out TakeBackYour6Percent.com, um, the goal there is to organize people into a cohesive unit that can create political disruption if necessary to make things happen for us. We have a contact Congress page. We have a contact Senate page on there, on the site. And that's just so that people can quickly, hey, see who your senator is. Many people don't even know who their senator is or their congressman. Contact them. Say, just fire up a quick email. Uh, talk to them. We'll have scripts on the page. They're going to walk people through how to do that. They could copy and paste it. 
send that through so that it lets these lawmakers know that young people are get, are upset at the idea of social security because a lot of people they don't know a lot of our leaders either don't know that they're the people upset about it or young people just haven't spoken up and that's what the goal behind our site is is eventually to get people young people to speak up en masse and past that we're going to work on campaigns and uh, make strategic campaigns with the goal of pushing Social Security into the mainstream conversation from the younger point of view and let people know that this is not acceptable to the younger generations and that we need massive change to Social Security, not the change that they're banding about right now um, in the political discussions and discourse before the presidential election. My guest today has been R.J. Renza. R.J., thanks for being part of the Debt Dialogues. Thank you again for having me, Don. So I want to say more about the issue of how to pose Social Security on moral grounds. And I think there's at least two essential things. First, there's an assumption at the core of the welfare state and of Social Security in particular that individuals are incapable of of making decisions about their financial affairs. They're incapable of deciding to save, of figuring out where to put their savings, figuring out how to provide for themselves across their entire lives. Now, I don't think it's that hard to dispute this. Part of what I do in my book, Roosevelt Care, is show that historically individuals were, even in a time when we weren't as economically advanced, on the whole, able to support themselves throughout their lives, whether through work, through savings, or through all sorts of other measures. The second issue, then, is to focus on the injustice, that given that individuals are capable, if they choose, of supporting themselves and of planning for their entire lives, then depriving them of the freedom to do this by taking away 12.4% of their income and forcing them into Social Security is a real injustice because it prevents them from making the decisions that will maximize their well-being over the course of their lives. That includes being able to spend that money when you're younger or being able to invest it in something that will actually give you a return. And I think focusing on those two things, the the issue that individuals are capable and that it's therefore unjust to put them in the system goes a long way to highlighting the immorality of the program. Now, ultimately, there's still the issue of altruism. It's the idea that, well, some people won't be capable. Some people will make mistakes. And don't we have to uh, have a program that's going to support them in old age? And I think that has to be addressed head on as well. And that really comes to the deeper immorality of altruism, which is sacrificing those who create values to those who don't. Now, that's certainly a longer conversation, but I think it's indispensable. And I will point you guys to our previous episodes, including our episode on altruism with Peter Schwartz and our episode on the welfare state with Ankar Gatte for how to make that case. The other thing I want to point out about this interview is that it really shows that you don't have to be a professional intellectual to take action on these kinds of issues. I think you can clearly see how any person can write about important issues, talk to the people that they deal with in daily lives, put YouTube videos up, really trying to let people know that there's an alternate view here. There's an alternative 
to the welfare state. There's an alternative to Social Security and to the view that these are noble, helpful programs. So I definitely encourage everybody to do that on whatever scale is open to them. And of course, the one thing you can always do is take the content such as that you find here and help it reach a wider audience. With that, it's time to bring this podcast to a close. If you enjoy it, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. To learn more, you can visit endthedebtdraft.com. And for the latest, I encourage you to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash debtdraft, and let the world know that it's time to put an end to entitlement exploitation. See you next time. Debt Dialogues is property of the Ayn Rand Institute. Its content is intended for private use only.